0: This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM.
1: Hello there and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. And today it's a bit of a milestone here on The Faith Experiment because today is episode number 10. And I'm calling this episode... Purpose and failure. I want to thank each and every one of you who have been tuning in for the past 10 weeks to hear the details of my personal experiment with faith. This is a show about exploring and experimenting with faith, and over the past 10 episodes, I've been sharing with you how faith crossed my path, how it came across my radar, and how at each step, as I was finding more information, as I started to test claims, delve into ancient civilizations, to study from various sacred texts, I started to perceive changes taking place in my life. If you are joining me for the first time, this show is not talking about theories and dusty old books. It's about real life, my real life. And so far, I've been taking you through how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. Well, I'd love to hear from you today where you're listening to The Faith Experiment from right now. Let me know by texting me on 04888 or email me on Robbie at faithfm.com.au or message me on the Faith FM Facebook page. Now on this episode of The Faith Experiment, I have a great ebook to give away called Purpose, Failure and Hope. It's a book written in a commentary style and covers much of the content in this episode. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 04888 So save the number in your phone. 04888 and wait for the code word. Now in the last episode, The Terrorist Behind the War, I shared how the world was obsessed with the war on terror and everyone had a theory on who the terrorist behind the war really was. Everyone from presidents and prime ministers to kings and queens to the average person on the street. We could all see a struggle every day as it played out right before our eyes. It was like there was something bigger than just this new anthem for our generation, terrorism. It was like there had always been some kind of disturbance in the human story or to quote star wars a disturbance in the force it was almost like humans were naturally inclined for brutality i mean after all the history books are full of stories of war and this is a war between humans a human killing a human a human raping another human a human stealing from another human it's like we can't even get along with ourselves as humans. But in the light of everything I had learned, all that I was discovering in these ancient texts and manuscripts, it was like there were two very different realities or two different worlds. There was this utopia, this paradise, this godlike being who had all the desirable characteristics that I personally was looking for out of life. And so is everyone else. This God is described as a God who is loving, who is kind and is patient and is the source of life and the essence of love. And yet, for every person I knew, including myself, all we have ever experienced in this life, in this world, is struggle, is pain, is suffering, sorrow, defeat, and death. Everyone is on a quest between the cradle and the grave to somehow obtain a Life of peace, of gaining a sense of normality, to find ease in this life, to find joy and fulfillment, and yet so very few of us actually find it. These thoughts raised many questions for me like, where did this conflict of opposing forces begin, and what was the reason? Who are the major players? And what's our role in all of this? And why is there evil in this world today? And how, if there is a God, Can a God that's supposed to be so good allow so much evil to take place? Where's the justice? And ultimately, will this struggle ever end? And who was or is the real terrorist behind the war? Now, I shared with you on the last episode, in my quest to understand this obsession with such terror and suffering and pain and death that humanity has, it led me to uncover unbelievable teachings and statements and explanations within these ancient Hebrew and Greek manuscripts known as the Bible today. And I found that of all the religious texts in the various worldviews that are out there, only these Hebrew and Greek manuscripts gave a backstory to help explain all of this. And these texts showed who was and is the real terrorist behind not just this war, but all war. And I found that there was a being called Lucifer who long before the existence of a single human being launched a campaign of rebellion against the sovereignty of God and against his very character. And I found out how that this rebellion had created a reality of two polar opposites, which at its core is summarized as a war between selfless love and selfish love. Now, if you missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, go ahead and get the Faith FM app from the App Store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy for you to keep up to date with every single episode of The Faith Experiment.
2: Tonight, touring the tragedy, John Howard warns of more terrorist attacks in the region. Honouring the dead and injured, an emotional memorial service in Bali. And firefighters battling the blaze that claimed a life near Stanford. Good evening, Rod Young with ABC News.
1: A grim f- November, 2002. I'd been on this quest for a little over 12 months. You know... Life is a strange thing. It's so unpredictable. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, you think you know where you're heading. And just like that, literally your whole world can change. Just a year earlier, I was a skeptic who didn't believe in the existence of God. And I felt assured that with the advancements in the technological revolution that was happening, that humanity was on the verge of solving life's biggest problems. And with the comforts of my new home and new car and every luxury I could ever want, I was sure that my destiny was within my control. And that because of my drive, my quest to excel, my desire for perfection, perfection in the details, because of my effort, because of my business smarts, the future looked exceptional. You know, they say that the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person is that a successful person knows who they are, and it's that knowledge that drives their purpose. Often when we meet people, particularly for the first time, there are a sort of set of standard questions that we like to ask each other, which helps us get to know who we're dealing with very quickly so that we're able to know where to position ourselves within the social hierarchy of this new relationship. For example, I want to know if this guy that I'm meeting, is he from a better school than me? Does he have more strength than I do? Does he have more money than I do? Does he have a better job than me? Does he have better connections than me? Are we equals? Am I superior? Is he superior? All of these assessments we make in split seconds as we start conversations with strangers. Some of these questions are things like, obviously, what's your name? And what do you do for a living? Where do you live? What school did you go to? And the answers to these questions help us to quickly assess our relationship based on our social hierarchy. If you met me in the early 2000s and asked me my name, obviously I would say it's Robbie. If you asked me what did I do, I'd say I'm a software engineer, a problem solver, a computer programmer. And if you asked me, like many people did back in the early 2000s, what's a software engineer do? I'd tell you how I design software systems by solving problems for major corporations in Australia. And then often the flow on question would be something along the lines of, well, why do you do that? Why would you choose to solve problems every day? To which my answer was because I love solving problems. I love the challenge of solving something that others have given up on. Now, if you delve deeper into conversation, oftentimes beliefs come up. And if you ask people what they believe, they generally have a long list of things that they subscribe to, whether it's a worldview a religion or no religion at all. Now, when I was asked the question, what do I believe, I used to often reply with something along the lines of, I don't have beliefs, I have facts. You see, for me, I held to the idea that religion is for the mindless masses, and that the basis of life is, in essence, a collective thought that transcends time and space. I know what I know because of previous generations, what they discovered and the knowledge that they passed on, and generations after me will know more because of what Me and my generation have learned and passed on. And it was my view that education was the most valuable instrument humanity had. In the corporate world, there's a term that we use, which is called the knowledge bank. One of the biggest dangers any team or department or corporation faces is when their employees have knowledge that only they hold. You see, if a person leaves the company, or worse yet, loses their life, that knowledge is contained within their cranium. And that knowledge is lost with them. And so a standard practice in the corporate world is to have what is called a knowledge bank. This is where knowledge is either verbally shared amongst team members on a daily or weekly basis, or it's some kind of repository. Maybe it's an online portal where information is documented and stored and where it's accessible to anyone at any time within the company. And so I guess from this view of the world, I had formed my own personal identity I was a software engineer. I was a thinker, a problem solver, and nothing was impossible. Now, what I have found is that the stronger a person's own sense of identity is, the clearer their mission or purpose in life is. For example, if you're a police officer, if that's your identity, your mission is clear. It's so clear that you know exactly what you're not to do and what you are to do, and you understand what your mission is. See, you never expect to see a police officer driving a fire truck. You wouldn't expect a police officer to be performing surgery. You wouldn't expect a police officer to be building a house because the mission and purpose of the police officer is bound up so tightly with its identity that the mission is natural. And this is true for every identity. If a person knows who they are, then their why, which is their purpose or mission, becomes crystal clear. Now, the inverse of this is true too. If a person is not clear on who they are, there will be no clear purpose or mission in their life. Now, society in the 1960s created a term called the gap year, which is generally attributed to those who have finished high school and They're looking to take time off before pursuing either a career or further education. This gap year was supposed to be a time to find yourself, to figure out who you are. And that would hopefully guide you into what you were to do, what your purpose was, what your mission in life was. And it seems that as time has gone by, more and more people struggle with this concept of their identity, which results in their purpose or their mission being a blur. In recent times, this has become even more of a challenge with this idea that even the basics of identity from birth, which was a given, your gender identity is now being questioned. If a person doesn't even know who they are at a biological level, then how can we expect clarity on a conscious level? And so as time progresses, we see more and more the effects of this ambiguity of identity. Whole generations have now lost sight of their mission, of their purpose. And we give them labels like Gen Z or millennials. We call them lazy. We create memes. We have a laugh. But humanity is reaching a tipping point. But I'm digressing. Let me take you back to 2002. Before this experiment, this faith experiment, my identity was clear to me. I knew who I was and I knew what I was. And in knowing this, I had a clear sense of my purpose and my mission. My mission was to solve problems, design solutions, make the world a more connected place, using technology in ways that had never been conceived of before, to be at the cutting edge of the technological revolution. In the early 2000s, for people like me who were in the tech space, it was like we were living in the wild west of a new frontier. This was exactly where I was meant to be, and this was exactly my purpose. This was my mission. But over the course of this 12-month period, something was changing. I've shared with you previously that quote which says, One's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimension. This was most certainly true for me. Almost by chance I came across this realm of predictions and insights to the future which led me to the ancient Hebrew manuscripts, which took me to the Greek manuscripts, which caused me to question and ponder the other world views, which led me to discover the attributes and characteristics of God, which led me back to the idea of how can these claims be validated or tested, which again led me back to the Hebrew manuscripts and the claim that prophecy somehow was the key of unlocking the authenticity of the authorship of these ancient manuscripts, which took me through the validation of prophecies more than two millennia old. And again, it led me back to the Hebrew manuscripts and this picture or figure of God. And here I was faced with evidence that pointed towards the very possibility and perhaps the probable existence of God. Everywhere I looked now, I was seeing things in a new light, as I went across the road to South Bank Parklands in Brisbane for lunch, the trees, the trees which I passed every day before, began to look like complex organisms, with design, with intent. The very system of the leaves collecting photons from the sun and combining with oxygen and creating physical matter from the air. This was pointing to the fact that there was some kind of master designer behind even the tree. And then the tiny sparrow sitting on the park bench with its miniature eyes wired to a bird brain, which was connected through electrical impulses to muscles and tendons attached to tiny little bones covered with feathers, that was all designed perfectly for efficient flight. How could this come into existence using the narrative that I'd been taught in biology about somehow this came through a process of mutation and evolution. Surely, there was even a designer behind this tiny sparrow, even the wind, the gentle breeze blowing across the city. We all knew that it was the result of the change in a high and low pressure system with temperature variation between the sea and the land and how that resulted in wind. And yet, the complexity was all pointing to a master designer and a creator. You see, every single piece of perfect code I had ever seen or used, every piece of hardware, the circuitry, the computational power, every single piece of it, there was no doubt that there was a designer behind each and every component. Every piece of code I had ever written was exactly that. It was written with design, with intent, with purpose. All of these ancient manuscripts, whether it was the Vedas of the Hindu faith or the Islamic Quran, the ancient Chinese classics, the Old Testament Hebrew or the Greek New Testament, the tribal religions of the Aztecs, the North American Indians, the African tribes, all of these narratives pointed to a creator God. And if this God does exist and he did create everything that is created has an identity which drives its purpose and if this god did create humanity then humanity has to have an identity and that identity must drive its purpose and for the first time in my adult life i asked the question who am i if god does exist then what is my identity and what is my purpose we have to take a short break now, but when we come back, we'll continue with my faith experiment as I explore purpose. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for the ebook Purpose, Failure, and Hope. We'll be right back after this with the faith experiment.
0: You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888 453 That's 04888 453 Or send an email to Robbie at faithfm.com.au.
2: let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow, may richer flow. My way, I yield my flickering torch to Thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray. That in Thy sunshine's blaze, its day may brighter, fairer be. I cannot close my heart to Thee, I trace the rainbow through the rain, and feel the promises not vain, that morn shall tearless be. my head I dare not ask to fly from thee I lay in dust life's glory dead and from the ground there blossoms rest life that shall endless peace life that shall endless peace
0: faith experiment with robbie bergen right across australia right here on faith fm listen live or listen later get the faith fm app from your app store today
1: welcome back to the faith experiment i'm robbie bergen and this is episode 10 and i'm calling this episode purpose and failure now remember, I have this great ebook to give away, Purpose, Failure and Hope. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 0488845311. So save the number to your phone, 048845311, and wait for the code word. Now we're talking about purpose and failure. And before the break, I was sharing with you how over the course of the year 2002, the year that had passed since September 11, 2001, I'd been on this quest to understand, to gain insight, to make sense of what was happening in the world around me. And I came across so many different concepts and teachings and facts and figures that my world was slowly changing right before my eyes. And for the first time, I was asking the question, Who am I? What's my identity and what's my purpose? I started to sense that this life that I had, that I was creating around houses and cars and money and travel, was not quite the purpose I was meant to have anymore. I mean, if this designer, this master designer or creator is trying to connect with me in some supernatural, metaphysical way, then everything that I have ever held to as having value and purpose has just instantaneously become insignificant. It's almost like I don't belong here anymore. And so I found myself turning back to these ancient manuscripts seeking to understand anything, anything at all that they revealed about purpose, meaning and identity. What did they have to say about the purpose of humanity? As I shared in the last episode, I had found that according to the narrative, everything God had created was good, including Lucifer. But as God defined himself as good, he also defined The opposite, which he could say is bad or evil. And I saw that Lucifer chose to love himself more than anything or anyone. And by so doing, he created the very real and very tangible existence of selfishness, which is the opposite of God. And this demonstrated evil. This gave a tangible reality to evil. And what was fascinating was that this origin of evil began with angels in heaven, not a human in sight. However, today, you can see evil's effects everywhere in our world. The creation of our world, according to the Hebrew manuscripts, came after this rebellion in heaven, after this great controversy started. And so, to get perspective on this story of how and when Earth came into existence, I started going back to all the world religions once again to see what they had to say on this topic. And not unexpectedly, not many of them had much to say at all. But I was quite surprised to discover that the earliest account of religious worship in China, which is found in the Xu Jing or the Book of History, it records that in the year 2230 B.C., the emperor sacrificed to Shangdi. That is, that he sacrificed to the supreme god of the ancient Chinese. This ceremony became known as the border sacrifice because at the summer solstice, the emperor took part in ceremonies to the earth on the northern border of the country. At the winter solstice, he offered sacrifices to heaven on the southern border. In one part of the opening prayer, the emperor would state, when Shangdi, the Lord so decreed, He called into existence heaven, earth, and man. Between heaven and earth, he separately placed in order man and things, all overspread by the heavens. This idea of God calling things into existence is almost identical to the teachings of the Hebrew scriptures, where it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breadth of his mouth. In comparing this to the accounts found in the first chapter of Genesis, when God created, it records that God said, which means that God chose to create using the power of his own words. Now, why is this significant? Well, when Jesus was teaching, he made a very interesting claim. He said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 12. This means that what's in the heart is expressed through our words. So, when God creates using his words... He's actually revealing what's in his heart or what's in his character. So in a sense, God is trying to reveal himself through all creation. And his main message is his character, which is at the core love or selfless love or love that flows outward to others. Now, perhaps one of the simplest and clearest verses in all of the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts relating to directly what the purpose of God creating humanity is, can be found in the Hebrew text of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 7. Quoting God, it says, Everyone that is called by my name, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yes, I have made him. God claims in this passage that the reason he created humanity was for his glory. That is the purpose of man. That is why he was created. So the next logical question is, well, what is God's glory? Now, ironically, this same question was once asked by Moses. You can find the story in the Hebrew Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 33. It says, and Moses said to God, I beseech you, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. So in responding to Moses' question, show me your glory, God. God replies with what is, in essence, a list of his characteristics. So I concluded that God's glory is, in fact, his character, which means that God created humanity to reflect and display his character. Now, God creates in general to reveal aspects of his character. For example, if you look at a flower, It shows some aspect of God's character. Perhaps you could conclude it shows his beauty, his simplicity. Well, if you look at a mountain range, you might say that it shows his grandeur, his strength. But the interesting thing is, is that when you look at a flower, a flower will always be a flower. Look at a mountain. A mountain will always be a mountain, which means that the characteristics that are revealed by a flower are static to some extent as too are the characteristics communicated by a mountain. But it seems that with humanity, God has intended to create something that is dynamic. For example, a human is capable of showing beauty, simplicity, grandeur and strength, maybe at the same time, maybe at different times humans have this amazing ability to reveal a full range, a full spectrum of characteristics. And what these manuscripts are stating is that this range of characteristics that humanity is capable of displaying is in fact God's characteristics. We are dynamic creatures. I remember one day reading a book on psychology. And I found that the word emotion comes from a Latin word which literally means energy in motion. And it's said that humans have the capacity through which to use energy in motion or emotion to dynamically change how we feel, how we act, and how we respond to any and every situation. And it seems, according to these manuscripts, that God takes the ultimate credit for that design. Now the question is, why? Why does God want humanity to reveal his character? Why does he want us to be dynamic and be able to display a whole range of his characteristics? Well, the answer might be found in the Greek New Testament. where describing the order of creation of Adam and Eve and the roles they have as husband and wife. The texts state that the purpose of Adam and Eve and their roles was for the angels. You can read about it in the letter to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Elsewhere in the Greek New Testament, we're told that this world is the study of the angels. It says, referring to this world, that it is the things which the angels desire to look into in First Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I started to get a sense that this world, our world, is somehow the lesson book for the universe. It seems that God's character is the theme which angels desire to look into, and it will be their study throughout all of eternity somehow also the union between a man and a woman in the roles of husband and wife also somehow to seem to communicate the very character of god something that stood out in this biblical account for the creation of humanity was the account itself this is what it says in the genesis account which is similar to the quran and to the ancient chinese it says god said let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God claims that he created humanity in his likeness or after his image. And it seems that being like God is to have dominion. Now what was fascinating with this is that the way this account describes it is actually the very thing that lucifer desired he desired dominion and that's where this whole cosmic conflict or this great controversy began here in the creation of humanity god is investing this humanity with the very thing that lucifer rebelled because of yet even though god created adam to have dominion over all the earth it's almost shocking to see what his actual day-to-day job was that god gave him it says in genesis chapter 2 verse 15 it says and god took the man and placed him in the garden to dress it and to keep it this is pretty ironic when you think about it god gave adam the role of being the king and yet in being the king he was also to be the servant to his subjects and this is diametrically opposite to lucifer lucifer wanted to be god by exalting himself above everything else out there And yet here, God is showing that humans were to have dominion, but only as long as they were willing to serve and submit. Could you imagine going to the White House to see the President of the United States who had complete dominion? And when you get there, you don't find him in the Oval Office or in one of the many meeting rooms. You find him in the garden, tending to the plants, nurturing and cultivating them. And yet, this is how God describes his purpose in creating humanity something that can show the attributes of leadership in dominion, while at the same time showing care and nurture and kindness. One of the final acts, according to the Genesis account, was God placed humans in a garden called the Garden of Eden. And in Hebrew, this literally translates as being the enclosure of pleasure. You see, God had created humans inside the circle, They had all the characteristics and attributes of God inside the circle. They had life, they had love, they had hope, they had purpose. But as you can tell just by looking around the world in which we're living, something went wrong. Well, it's that time again. We need to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll continue with my quest to find purpose. And coming up is today's code word for the e-book Purpose, Failure and Hope. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment.
0: The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. It's
3: another new day, and there's so much to do, my head hurts, I reach for my phone, and I see a pile of dirty clothes, my schedule starts to fill, with a plan, But stills my voice, He calls. Won't you stop a while and spend time with me? Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall much to do My head hurts But I need you Jesus Christ To come and fill my life With joy and meaning All those other things can wait As I lay all my plans At your feet For this time I spend with you Gives me strength to make it through what a fail. first god's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you and all these things shall
0: You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM.
1: Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 10 of The Faith Experiment, which I'm calling Purpose and Failure. Coming up soon is the code word for today's ebook Purpose, Failure and Hope. If you want to say the number 04884531 into your phone, get ready to text the code word as soon as you hear it. And before the break, I share with you how I was on a quest to understand the purpose of humanity from these ancient manuscripts, because by understanding purpose, it might help me understand identity, and identity drives mission. And so I'd come to an understanding that the purpose of creating humans, at least to the biblical account, was that we were designed to communicate and reveal the character of God. And unlike a bird or a flower or a mountain or a tree, which communicates a static set of attributes, humans are designed for a dynamic range of emotions allowing us to communicate various attributes and characteristics which it appears was God's design and purpose. So where did it all go wrong? Well, according to the biblical narrative after the angel Lucifer challenged God's character of selfless love and became the adversary God's character becomes the center of this great cosmic controversy. In the Greek manuscripts of Revelation and of Jude, we're told that Lucifer was somewhat successful in his attack against God, and he manages to persuade one-third of the angels to join him in his rebellion. It tells us things like, angels did not keep their first estate, but left their habitation. And we're told that the devil drew a third part of the stars or the angels of heaven and cast them to the earth open rebellion had broken out in god's perfect universe and god decides to demonstrate his character kind of by proxy to these unfallen worlds and this was done by creating humans in his image after his likeness earth and humanity became a textbook to the universe on the nature and character of God. But now that Lucifer is sort of out and on the loose in the universe, he takes his mission to earth. And that mission has one goal, to deceive. The book of Revelation tells the story this way. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So at this point in the whole story, we have a selfless God, a selfish adversary, the devil, and we have this new species, humans, who are in the image and likeness of God and have been designed to be the textbook to explain the character of God. Now, I've already shared with you, as I've explored the world religions, and all of them agree that there's a state of humanity today which is very different to what it was designed for the majority of worldviews identify humanity's core problem as being the result of selfishness. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. It says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And before the break, we saw how that the glory of God is actually His character. So you could read the passage this way. Everyone has sinned because we've all come short of God's character. And I've shared how that sin is the crossing of the line, that line of the circle where God put us, inside the circle, and voluntarily going outside of the circle, as Lucifer did, was sin. But how did mankind sin? Now that Lucifer's rebellion was free in God's universe, God intended to demonstrate through the gift of free will that his new creations of Adam and Eve had freedom to choose to worship him. And this was at the core of Lucifer's sin. He wanted worship for himself. Humans were made in the very image of God and we can see that expression of love in the form of one commandment given to Adam and Eve. The Quran puts it this way in Surah chapter 7 verse 19. God speaking, O Adam dwell with your wife in the garden and enjoy as you wish but approach not this tree or you run into harm and transgression. The Hebrew scriptures add, And the Lord said to the man, saying, You can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it, for the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the pictograms of the Chinese language, you find a character for control or restraint, being made up of a mouth over a tree. So in a way, the character is showing that to control or to restrain yourself is to keep your mouth off the tree. The Chinese also have another character which has a similar story, which is the word forbidden. It's two trees, perhaps the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And underneath them is an image for instruction. So were the ancient Chinese encoding this story of how there were two trees and an instruction which carried the idea of something being forbidden? Now let me pause here for a moment. If you'd like to see the graphic of these characters that I'm talking about, text the code word EDEN nothing else, just the word Eden, to 04 triple eight four five three double one, and the Faith FaithFM bot will reply to you with the graphics so you can see what I'm talking about. Now, it doesn't appear from any of the historical narratives that these two trees found in the Garden of Eden were some kind of magical trees. They simply seem to represent the freedom of choice. Remember that Lucifer has brought into existence a kind of second government to choose from, And the trees, in a sense, represent something similar to the idea of voting. Whichever tree you choose to eat from represents the side you vote for. So choosing not to eat of the tree represents loyalty of mankind to God. So the big question is, what happened? Where was the failure? Well, it's time again to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll continue with my quest to understand purpose and failure. And coming up is today's code word for the ebook Purpose, Failure and Hope. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.
4: You take what is, and you make it beautiful. When love lights in, we're restored forevermore. We bright that brings the day to life, with words that peace, the dark, with light, only by the blood. The mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree Oh, you alone, on the power to redeem Ooh. No guilt with this. grave can hold what you're Joys, oh child
0: Is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM.
1: Welcome back. This is the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 10. Coming up in just a few minutes is today's code word for the ebook called Purpose, Failure, and Hope. Now I've been sharing with you how I was seeking to understand from these ancient manuscripts what they taught about the purpose of humanity and what was our identity. And before the break. I had come to an understanding that God has created us to be reflectors of his character and we were to be a kind of a textbook or object lesson to the universe. And it appeared that Lucifer understood the importance of this new species humanity and it didn't take long until he shows up on the scene. Now I found that these two trees in the Garden of Eden were not magical trees, they just represented the freedom of choice. And it was at this point that the serpent shows up in the story. Now, it doesn't take much digging to discover that the serpent here in the Garden of Eden is a medium for Lucifer or the devil. It says in the book of Revelation that the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. So we see that one of the terms or names for the devil is actually the old serpent, referencing the account in Genesis. Now, most people, including me, had heard the story of Adam and Eve and the snake and the eating of the fruit. But as I examine the story across the various worldviews, I notice some interesting details. For example, the Chinese language once again has encoded elements of this account. The Chinese have a pictogram for the word tempter, and it's made of the character of a devil standing under two trees. So even today, every time you write down the word tempter in Chinese, you have to draw the devil under the cover of two trees. Absolutely remarkable. And then the Chinese have another pictogram for covet or covetousness, which is made up of the picture of a woman beneath two trees. Were the ancient Chinese depicting Eve under the two trees? Let me pause once again. If you want to see this graphic, text the code word EDEN, E-D-E-N, nothing else, just E-D-E-N, to O four triple eight four five three double one. That's O four triple eight four five three double one and the of bot will reply to you with the graphic so you can see what I'm talking about. I also found in the Quran the same account described in Surah 7, verse 19. Then Satan whispered to them in order to reveal to them their shame that was hidden from them, and said, "'Your Lord only forbade you this tree, lest you become angels or such beings as live forever.' And he swore them both that he was their sincere advisor. So by deceit he brought them to their fall." When they tasted the tree, their shame became manifest to them, and they began to sow together leaves of the garden over their bodies. In all of the accounts, one common thread is that through this temptation, mankind succumbed to the ideology of Lucifer and joined the kingdom of selfishness. This is seen in Eve's selfish desire for self-awareness or self-exaltation. It can be seen in Adam as he selfishly chooses Eve over God, and by doing this, they both cross over that line, that line of the circle. And as soon as they do this, they almost immediately start displaying the characteristics of Lucifer. For example, after they sinned, when God asked Adam what had happened, he showed selfishness by blaming God and Eve for his choice. And then Eve blames the serpent for her choice. As soon as they sinned, they started to show the characteristics that were outside of God, outside of After Adam and Eve sinned, now no place was found for them in God's enclosure of pleasure. And like Lucifer, they could no longer stay in their sanctuary state with God. And so the record states that God removed them from Eden. They no longer had the characteristics of God. The Hebrew text state, So God drove out man and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword which turned every which way to guard the tree of life. This is the same picture we see in the writings of the ancient Chinese. It says, Because human beings had sinned, God ordered Li to block the way of communication between man and God. All the worldviews that contain the story had the same conclusion. Sin separates us from God. Think of it like two magnets. If you hold them one way, they are attracted to each other and they're connected and they will stay that way. But if you take them apart and reverse just one of them, no matter how hard you try, you can never reconnect them. They only repel each other. And the Hebrew manuscript of Isaiah puts it this way But your rebellion, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And so, mankind was created. ...with an identity. They were in the image of God... ...after His likeness. They were to hold dominion on earth... ...and yet be servant to the earth. And their mission, their purpose... ...was to reflect and display... ...the character of God to the universe. And yet, as a race... ...we failed. As a human... ...I failed. If I look at my life... ...I have seen nothing... ...but selfish characteristics... I've cared more about myself and my needs and my interests than those around me. I have come short of the glory of God. I have failed in my purpose. Next time on The Faith Experiment, I'll continue to take you my own personal faith experiment and how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter and how I found hope. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have this great ebook to give you. It's called Purpose, Failure, and Hope. It's a fantastic book. It's written in a commentary style which ties together all the biblical texts from the creation of Lucifer to the creation of this earth, the first human beings, the temptation at the tree, and the fall of humanity. It's a fantastic book. You don't want to miss it. To get today's free offer, text the code word purpose nothing else just the one word purpose to 0488453211 the faith fm bot will reply to you asking for some details and give you that free ebook right there on your phone so text the code word purpose to 0488453211 well that's all for now i'll catch you next week at the same time right here on faith fm for the next episode of the Faith Experiment. I'll see you then.
0: You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Connect with us via text message on 04888 453 That's 04888 453 Or send an email to Robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.